It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Friday, February 16th. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand is pushing for Congress to reinstate pandemic-era funding for families. The child tax credit expansion expired at the end of 2021. And since then, child poverty has more than doubled nationwide. And an exhibit at the Plattsburgh State Art Museum takes a closer look at human migration from the southern border to Roxham Road in Clinton County. If we realize that we don't know people's stories, and if we realize that these people who lost their lives, these people who were um, so eager to cross at Roxham, that they're not that unlike us. And John Warren checks this uh, the trail conditions for us after this long-awaited snowfall. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Depot Theater in Westport, inviting all to take a journey without leaving the station. Learn more at depotheater.org. And Seacom Credit Union, serving the financial needs of people throughout northern New York and the northwest and northwestern Vermont in person, online at seacom.org and on your smartphone. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. The number of farms, both across the country and in New York State, is continuing to shrink. That's according to data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's latest Census of Agriculture. Catherine Wheeler reports the new report highlights continued struggles for the dairy industry. The USDA's Census of Agriculture is taken every five years. It collects data from producers on land use, economics, and demographics, and it paints a picture of America's ag industry. Between 2017 and 2022, the number of farms in the U.S. dropped by 7%. It was even worse in New York. The state lost about 2,800 farms over five years, or 9%. A big slice of that was in the dairy industry. While dairy is the largest sector of state agriculture, the Ag Census says about 1,900 dairy farms in New York shuttered over a five-year period. Christopher Wolf is an agricultural economics professor at Cornell University. He says the numbers don't surprise him. It's been happening for decades. I don't know how much it stood out to me. You know, I think most people were probably surprised maybe by the amount of consolidation that happened, particularly in the dairy industry. Wolf's referring to the fact that while the number of dairy farms decreased, the number of milk cows in New York increased by nearly 3,000. He says dairy farms consolidate because there's a high fixed cost for milking cows. The equipment is expensive. You can spread those fixed costs over more units. So it doesn't cost twice as much to build the milking facilities for 1,000 cows as it does to build them for 500 cows. Wolf says that consolidation chips away at the economies of agricultural communities, like parts of the North Country. St. Lawrence County is the third largest milk-producing county in the state. New York has got all these rural areas where the dairy farms are a major driver of the local economies. 
So if they exit, it has not only implications for the farm family, but for the local feed mill and for the veterinarians and for all these other kind of support industries, right, that then go away. The New York Farm Bureau, the group that lobbies for agriculture, says the numbers should be a wake-up call. Its president, David Fisher, is calling on Congress to pass strong agriculture legislation to keep more farmers in business. Catherine Wheeler, North Country Public Radio. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand wants Congress to give bigger tax credits to families raising children the way it did during the pandemic. She's supporting a bill that would once again expand the child tax credit, making it more like it was at the height of COVID. Lucy Grinden has more. The COVID-19 pandemic was really hard on families financially. Lots of people lost their jobs and inflation skyrocketed. In early 2021, Congress stepped in to help. The government added hundreds of dollars a month to most families' budgets by expanding the child tax credit. But then that extra support went away. The child tax credit expansion expired at the end of 2021. And since then, child poverty has more than doubled nationwide. Simply unacceptable. That's Senator Kirsten Gillibrand at an online press conference last week. She's pushing for the passage of the Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act. According to the latest census data, the national child poverty rate is 12.4 percent. In the North Country, seven counties have even higher child poverty rates than that. But the new bill before the Senate could increase child tax credits again, though not by quite as much as before. Under the Tax Relief Act, some families would see their child tax credit grow by thousands of dollars. Chris Cox works for the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, a progressive research institute in Washington, D.C. She says the biggest increases would go to very low-income families with multiple children. Here's an example. Consider a single parent with two children who earns about $14,000 working part-time as a home health aide. Under current law, that family would receive about $1,700 a year. But the new law would increase their child tax credit. Under the proposal, that family would receive about $1,700 for each child, each of their two children. In other words, their credit would double. The bill would also make annual credit adjustments for inflation and raise the limit on refunds. So some families would get more money put directly into their bank accounts or by check from the IRS. The House of Representatives passed the bill late last month. North Country Congresswomen Elise Stefanik and Claudia Tenney both voted in favor. Now the bill has to go before the Senate. It faces opposition from some Republicans, but Gillibrand says she thinks it has a good chance of passing. In the North Country, Gillibrand says the Tax Relief Act would benefit more than 23,000 children. Lucy Grinden, North Country Public Radio. Governor Hochul announced yesterday that $200 million additional dollars in state funding will be going towards lowering energy bills for New Yorkers. The state's large electric and gas utility providers will receive the money and then credit it to individual customers' accounts. Both residential and non-residential customers will receive discounts. Altogether, more than $1.4 billion of energy assistance funds are available in New York this year through programs like the Low Income Bill Discount Program, the Weatherization Assistance Program, and HEAP. 
New York's controller says the state's finances have stabilized since the disruption of the COVID-19 pandemic, but budget gaps remain. Democrat Tom DiNapoli's annual report on the proposed executive budget finds Governor Kathy Hochul's plan will have a minimal impact on state revenues. The report finds tax collections are expected to grow by about 3.4% or $2.6 billion this coming fiscal year. DiNapoli says the division of budget projects a balanced budget, but a budget deficit of $20 billion is forecast for the years through 2028. Overall, the Division of Budget project uh, projects the economy will slow in the first half of 2024. Stronger growth is expected in the second half of the year, but it rates below last year's levels. The State Assembly and Senate will release their own budget proposals before the April 1st deadline. Progressives and defense attorneys are pushing back against Governor Hochul's plan to add more types of crime to the state's hate crime statute. WNYC's John Campbell reports. The governor wants to expand the list to include things like graffiti, sexual misconduct, and gang assault. It comes amid a spike in hate crimes in the months following the October 7th attack in Israel. Catherine Miller is a professor at Cardozo School of Law. She says Hochul's effort is misguided. Making a few extra sort of random crimes eligible for increased punishment is not going to do anything to keep these folks safer. A hate crime designation comes with stiffer penalties, but it only applies if prosecutors can prove the crime was motivated by the victim's race, religion, or a similar attribute. The governor says expanding the list would give more power to district attorneys. In Albany, I'm John Campbell for the New York Public News Network. And the Village of Canton Water Department is asking residents to check for lead water pipes in their homes. The village needs help with a service line inventory mandated by state health department regulations. According to a Canton Water Department employee, Village Water is tested for lead every three years, and the levels have never come close to the maximum contamination level set by the EPA. To help with the inventory, the village wants people to check the pipes in their basement and then reach out to the water department via email to see if you have lead pipes, look in your basement for a pipe that comes through the outside wall or, or floor. If it's made of lead, then a magnet will not stick to it, and it'll look silver and shiny if you scratch it with a key or a coin. Lots of older homes still contain lead plumbing, and lead contamination in water can have harmful health effects. It's especially dangerous for young children and pregnant women. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 11 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Stick around. How the recent snowfall impacts the trail conditions in the Adirondacks this weekend. We have more from John Warren coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by Scott Shipley in Canton.
Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Foundation, connecting people, ideas, and resources to improve lives and expand opportunities throughout the Adirondack region. Details at adirondackfoundation.org. And by NCC Systems, protecting North Country businesses and homes for 50 years, offering cameras, security, fire alarms, and entry control. nccsystems.com. For several years now, the North Country's border with Canada has been a hot spot for migrant crossings. Tens of thousands of people used the former unofficial crossing at Roxham Road in northern Clinton County to seek asylum in Canada. And Border Patrol assigned to this area are seeing a jump in the number of people heading south. An exhibition at SUNY Plattsburgh titled Borders, Migrations North and South focuses on the humans behind those numbers. Champlain Valley reporter Kara Chapman has more. A recording of birds chirping plays from a small corner of SUNY Plattsburgh's art museum. Could be birds anywhere, but you know, it happens that they were recorded at Roxham. That's Amy Mountcastle. She chairs the college's anthropology department. She's talking about Roxham Road. It's the unofficial border crossing that was used by tens of thousands of people to claim asylum in Canada starting in 2017. It was shut down last March when the U.S. and Canada closed a loophole in a treaty governing the border. Mountcastle first learned about Roxham Road from a student several years ago. She started going there with that student and others to interview the asylum seekers, local volunteers who'd help them, and the taxi drivers who'd bring them to the unofficial crossing. This is what we do as anthropologists. Um, We try to understand um, what's happening from the perspective of people who are involved in it. And Mountcastle wanted to bring that perspective to the broader community. That's what got her thinking about curating an exhibit focused on the border. We are located in a place where this human story is unfolding right before our eyes. And we're uniquely positioned to get a close-up look. And I think it's worth sharing that um, with anybody who's interested in, in seeing it. The exhibition, titled Borders, Migrations North and South, opened last fall. It spans two rooms in SUNY Plattsburgh's Art Museum. Mountcastle says it was initially going to focus solely on the northern border. But over time, she and the artist talked about incorporating the southern border, too. She says photographer Paula Allen, who's covered both borders, helped clarify how the two are connected. One day I'm talking to her and she goes, yeah, um, now I get it. It's It's a funnel. You know, there's the, the big part of the funnel is down at the southern border, and then the um, narrow part is here at the northern border. There's this sort of trickle, in, in a, you know, by comparison of people mm-hmm. coming to the northern border. In one room, there's a wall with a big map of the Arizona-Mexico border. Dozens of orange and manila-colored toe tags hang from it. It's called the Hostile Terrain 94 exhibit. Mountcastle says 94 stands for the year 1994. That's when U.S. Customs and Border Protection implemented the policy known as prevention through deterrence. The idea was to effectively close off more popular border crossings and force people to travel through harsher areas. And the net effect was that it made it more dangerous for people to cross. More than 3,400 people died between the mid-1990s and 2022 trying to cross the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. Visitors are given information about each of those people, their name if they were identified, their age, where they were found. 
but also more gruesome details like the condition of their bodies and how they died. Then visitors are instructed to write those details on the toe tags. It's solemn, reflective. Mountcastle says it's meant to make people pause. You're reminded that this is a person or this was a person. In the next room, the focus shifts north. Big photos capture scenes from Roxham Road. A little girl smiles as she plays in the snow. A dusting of dirt covers a dark knit glove left behind months ago. Speckled sunlight streams through the trees. Nearby, a recording plays of a Nigerian boy talking about the long journey from New York City to Roxham Road. Mm, I was thinking about nothing. I was just like, I feel kind of sleepy. Yeah, really long. And it took, and it was like, so boring. You just have to look at the natures outside the window and trains passing around. In the middle of the room, there's a display of artifacts asylum seekers left behind. Small piles of currency and luggage tags, a child's car seat, a prayer rug, a pack of cigarettes. It's the everydayness of these objects, Mountcastle says, that she hopes challenges people to think deeply about migration and the people behind it. If we realize that we don't know people's stories, and if we realize that, um, you know, these people who lost their lives, these people who were um, so... Uh, eager to cross at Roxham, um, that they're not that unlike us. They're not unlike us. The Borders, Migrations North and South exhibit is on display at SUNY Plattsburgh from noon to 4 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday until March 8th. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio, Plattsburgh. Keep up with the conversations and stories you hear on North Country Public Radio every day at our website, ncpr.org, or follow the station on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a few minutes, if you're looking for weekend plans, we've got you covered. Stay tuned. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note coming up at 842. It's cockatoos. But before we get there, Todd... Got to take a look at the weather. Yeah, there's, it's a snowy Friday, and uh, the weather service says still some blowing and drifting snow. The snow may uh, will uh, uh, will slowly sort of taper to flurries by this afternoon across the region, but wind gusts continuing. Blustery afternoon on tap with winds uh, 30 to 40 miles per hour at times. Some of the strongest gusts near the lakeshore along eastern Lake Ontario. But uh, blowing and drifting snow across our region today, so the snow may end, but be careful if you're on, you know, long trips. Uh, some of those sort of flat stretches of highway may see some drifting this afternoon and tonight. So there's a winter storm warning in effect until 10 o'clock this morning along eastern Lake Ontario, the western Adirondacks, uh, Boonville, Lowville, Watertown, those communities, uh, and then also a winter weather advisory in effect until 1 o'clock this afternoon for the rest of our region. Highs today in the the Highest today in the, the 20s, near 30 this afternoon. 
Wind's probably going to make it feel colder, and uh, then lows tonight near 20 tomorrow. Highs mid-20s, 60% chance of snow, then a good chance of maybe some snow again on Sunday with highs in the low 30s. It's uh, right now in Canton, cloudy and 18 degrees, and here with more on the weekend weather and trail conditions is John Warren. On Saturday, sunrise will be at about 6.53 and sunset at about 5.27. Once the snow ends, seasonal temperatures will continue, with high peak summit temperatures in the single digits tomorrow and teens Sunday. Summits will be windy this weekend as well, with winds 35 to 45 miles per hour that will bring wind chill temperatures into the teens below zero today, almost 30 below tomorrow, and near 20 below on Sunday. Trail conditions remain icy, carry traction devices and snowshoes, and expect to encounter unbroken trails that will make travel more difficult. Expect also to encounter blowdown. There remains about 8 to 12 inches of snow at most lower elevation locations in the Adirondacks, with an additional 6 or 8 in the central Adirondacks. There is about 2 to 3 feet at Lake Colton and 4 or 5 feet above there. Many waters still remain open, and all are above normal levels for this time of year. Lake ice remains hazardous, although Lake Colton and Avalanche Lake are being crossed. The ski trail and passes are skiable beyond Marcy Dam, but backcountry ski conditions remain thin. Stick to smoother early season terrain for the best backcountry ski conditions this weekend. Cross-country ski areas are getting a much-needed boost with this recent storm, and all will be open with good conditions. Conditions at downhill facilities are also improved. Whiteface and Gore will have plenty of terrain at all levels, though no glades or slides. Oak and Macaulay will be open with more terrain, as will Titus and Hickory Mountain in Warrensburg. Snowmobile trails, however, remain in marginal condition. Trails in northern Herkimer and Hamilton and southern St. Lawrence counties remain the best bet. Those are the outdoor conditions in the Adirondacks this weekend. For North Country Public Radio, this is John Warren from the New York Almanac. Online at newyorkalmanac.com.
Yeah, there's Jay Unger and Molly Mason from The Pleasures of Winter, 20 Below. And here's the deal. They're going to be performing tonight at 7 o'clock in Saratoga Springs, part of the annual Dance Flurry Festival 2024. It's all weekend at the Saratoga Springs Civic uh, City Center. And, Monica, that is an event that you need to go to, Monica. You need to go to Dance Flurry. (laughs) You would love it. I've been there a couple of times. It is a hoot. There's wall-to-wall dancing and music and smiles and activities. Everything from African folk dance to Zydeco and tap dancing and, you know, contra dancing and live music. Oh, that just yeah. sounds like a ball. Absolutely sounds like a ball. Oh, I wish I could go this weekend. I'll have to, I'll have to put it on my calendar for next year. But uh, before next year, keeping it with this year, um, there is um, a great jazz show coming up from three prolific musicians, the Larry Ham Trio this weekend. Larry Ham uh, on key. Keys, Tom Melito on drums, Matt Dunn on bass. They all met at the Crane School of Music in Potsdam back in the 80s, and they are back together for sort of a mini tour this weekend. They'll be at the Amos and Julia Ward Theater in Jay tonight, then at the Hand House Parlor in Elizabethtown uh, Saturday evening and Sunday afternoon. Then they're coming out to St. Lawrence County um, on Monday evening with a show at St. Lawrence University. So lots of opportunities to check them out. We had a conversation Conversation with the upright bassist Matt Dunn on the show earlier this week. You can find that at out um, that at our website ncpr.org. So maybe you can't make it to Saratoga Springs, but there is also music tonight in Canton at the Unitarian Universalist Church. 
Great jazz music performed by the local combo for all you know. Jazz and coffee bar tonight free. Open to everyone at the Canton Unitarian Universalist Church from 6.30 to 8.30. Live music. You can even get up and dance if you want. And and that's all happening tonight, 6.30 at the Unitarian Universalist Church in Canton. If music and dancing isn't your thing, maybe... uh, (laughs) Who are those people? (laughs) But uh, if music and dancing aren't your thing, maybe um, battle reenactments are more your style. I know. Sorry, your reaction. Maybe battle reenactments are more your style. This weekend is the annual reenactment of the Battle of Ogdensburg. It's part of the War of 1812. Uh, The fort um, had originally been built by the French, um, uh, had originally been built by the French, and you can check it all out at Saturday's reenactment uh, starting at 1.30 p.m. along Ford Street in Ogdensburg. Then at 3 o'clock, the Ogdensburg History Museum uh, is also hosting a free lecture on medical procedures during the war. You can find out more at our website, ncpr.org. And tomorrow... Tomorrow at the Paul Smith's College Vic, you can take a, a winter birding trek with Paul Smith's College student and birder Nicholas Maine. He's fabulous. I've been birding with him. He's great. They're starting that at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. It's a bir- it's winter birding indoors and then snowshoes on the trails. And also join naturalist Milt Adams for a family winter tracking event. That's happening tomorrow from ten to noon at the Paul Smith's Vic. So much to enjoy around the North Country and plenty more going on. You can always find out more at our website, ncpr.org slash calendar. Can't get enough of Jay Unger and Molly Mason. Love it. I'm Todd Moe. I'm Monica Sandreski. Have a good weekend.